September 30, 2020. It's a lot from Pedro's show.
Lot for Pedro Show. Happy Wednesday. Near the end of the month here in into October. <laughs> well, I had to dry out a little bit. You know, it's dangerous with these times. The Quentin Quarantino mode. You can build up quite a tolerance. Uh, we started off the show with my fight, uh, favorite things. You know, there was a, a seven inch of this. And this is part two. Uh, and then we had Mike Pride with several realms, part two. I thought the two part twos kind of fit together. And uh, you might be able to hear him there. Uh, where, where are you calling me from, Mike? Uh, I'm calling from the Hudson Valley in New York, in the town of Chester and Goshen. Chester. I got the border going right through my yard. No, so. I know about Chester a little bit. Yeah? Well, not so much the town in the Hudson Valley, although I know a <laughs> lot of people moved up the river from the big town. Yeah, totally. Okay. But the Chester, I played with Stooges once in England. And like you'll see a part of people's uh, other town's name, like Manchester, right? Chester is old, uh, from Roman Latin, Caster, uh, town. It just means fucking town. Chester. Oh, right. It just means town, yeah. That's funny. Yeah, it's a trip about that kind of shit. Uh, Anyway... Glad to have you on so much, really. we got to thank Evan Lipson for making the connect. Actually, he's been uh, really fucking instrumental on on connecting me with a lot of free cats, you know. I've been aware of this music. You know, Raymond took me to see Sam Rivers, and, of course, Thirst knows all about this. The Smegma people used to live in SoCal. They're part of the L.A. Free Music Society. Oh, yeah, I met Uh, them in, uh, in England. Oh, okay, okay. So it's quite a world. And, and if you ask me, the movement that I got caught up in the 70s kind of has, and, and Jack Wright was telling me, in fact, he recommended me a book about some guy who just wrote on punk movement and how there is connect to free mm. musics in there. And, of course, uh, I, I read uh, John Swed's book on uh, Sun Ra, Space is the Place, and that was, yeah. I, I recommend that to everybody. And, uh, anyway, what, let's let's talk about you though, Mike. Cushion man, a stick man with a beat in his hand. <laughs> what is really the heart of, especially rock and roll or uh, rhythm music, right? God totally. damn, right. The Latin the bass. Well, yeah, yeah. We're kind of like a kick drum. We uh, more yeah. we look like a guitar, but we're actually a kick drum. <laughs> there you go, exactly. But uh, big mistake Minutemen made was having George Hurley in the back. The motherfucker should have been right up front, charging totally. hard like the way he played. You know that. But we were caught up in way, ways that uh, things ought to be, right? The Berlin yeah. Walls were in the head, not physical. you know. Oh, and that was a big part of the movement, was getting rid of all that stuff so you could decide on things your own. you know. And basically, I think it was maybe an ergonomic thing, like club rock versus arena rock. But there's something about Nuremberg rallies that ain't so fucking uh, inspiring to me anyway. But I want to know about you. Your earliest musical recollection, Mike Pride. Um, well, just listening to music, um, uh, I came up, I was born in the seventies, but came up being aware of music in the eighties. And, but I have, uh, two older brothers, one of which is substantially older than me. So I remember growing up listening to the Rolling Stones with him and he used to make like, uh, four track or reel to reel cassette recordings of me saying disco sucks, Rolling Stones rule and making like fart sounds. And so I remember that just because I got attention for doing it. And um, but, Mike, Mike, where was this? Uh, this was in Maine. I was uh, I was raised outside of Portland, Maine. Um, the other one. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I played, the, one time, get this, Mike. One time, in, I I did a July or an August gig, and it was a hundred degrees. Very rare for Portland, Maine. Yeah. You, and it, where'd you play in Portland? Do you remember? Something with a Z. Oh, Zoots. 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 That's it. 
Yeah, right on Forest Avenue, right before you get to Congress Street. That I was the place the for a long time. I saw some hilarious, hilariously poorly produced shows there, and then some amazing shows as well. But. Now, now, you said something funny. Your brother made reel-to-reel cassettes. <laughs> yeah, or real real tapes, and uh, yeah, and he would uh, he was a guitar he is a guitar player, so he was recording his own music. Uh, and when I was born, he was around twenty. So by the time oh, I was wow. a teenager, he yeah. was he was a grown man and and had a bit of a dad dad complex. So, uh, anyways, he forced his uh, music on on me, and I was happy to have that. And uh, but there so, there, but the, but there was instruments in the pad. Yeah, yeah. He had, he always had his guitar, and he always performed his new songs for the family. And my mom played clarinet, and you know, sang along to doo-wop music in the kitchen. Uh, my other older brother was a respected choral singer, and my younger brother played clarinet. So I I started playing guitar when I was four, studying with my oldest brother, and then I switched to trombone in in fourth grade. And ah, then so I you, wanted you play, you did music in school. I was going to ask you that. Yeah, I did. I did trombone for a year, and then I wanted to play saxophone because my brother had gotten me into Frank Zappa at a young age, um, like around eight or so. And I had the first album I bought was Weasel's Ripped My Flesh, and there's the Eric Dolphy Memorial Barbecue track on there. Right. So I became obsessed with Eric Dolphy when I was about ten. Do you know and about? Really... Do you know he's he's SoCal, right? Do you know his yeah. daddy? His daddy built him a prac pad in the backyard. You know, I didn't know his dad built it, but he, I knew that practice spot was legendary and that everybody would come through there. I, I always had the feeling it was like a garage extension or something. Um, but isn't that but amazing you, to get the support? I mean, we don't know about that, oh, you know? Totally. Yeah, yeah very I, important. I, I studied for a minute with this guy, David Baker, who was a trombone player in the 70s, up through the 70s, and then he was in a bad car accident and became a cellist because he lost his embouchure. Um, and he used to play with Eric, and he was really close with Eric's mom. So I always used to hear great stories about about that spot. Uh, it's totally amazing that, you know, I'd love to uh, be a fly on the wall in that yeah. spot, even for a minute. What was the first record you bought for yourself? The first record was, was in fact, um, Weasel's Rip My Flesh, the okay. Frank Zappa record. Okay, so I you bought actually it on bought tape. that. Because later on, you were talking about the Bones, some bass clef there. The, yeah. Fa- the Fowler Brothers, right? Yeah, Bruce Fowler and I—I I can't remember his brother's name. Well, they I, for a while there, they—they they didn't have a bass guitar in the Magic Band. He was the bass. Oh, that, oh, that's not, that was my favorite period with the uh, shiny trombone. beast. Yeah, the shiny beast uh, bat bat chain puller. Totally, totally, and the marimba and the, that stuff was great. Ed marimba, yeah, band. art art uh, art trip. Yeah, Cincinnati totally. started out as classical. I think he does chiropractic now. You know, I want to play Larry from your Kalishnikov project.
Wife yeah. of Pedro okay. show. Uh, yeah, we had Larry from Kalishnikov, my pride project. Uh, then when you broke my heart. Now you must play the part when you come running back for me from Bogdan Rizinski. And then mm-hmm. Mike Pride's I Hate Work project with Corporate Death Burger. No, Corporate Death Burger slash yeah. Business on Parade. Kind of a medley. It is, yeah. It's the. Do you remember MDC, Millions of Dead Cops? Yeah, well, at first they were called the Stains. Yeah, Austin that's, Band. That's right. But then they found out there was an East L.A. Stains, right? Because there's an totally. SST record. Great band. And they changed totally. their name and they moved to the city. They lived in the vats. Balls out. Oh, yeah. You know, I played in MDC in the early 2000s. Um, and I played on their last proper record uh, with all the original members, minus the drummer who was in prison. Right. Um, so Business on Parade and Corporate Death Burger, uh, that whole I Hate Work project is all my reimaginings of my favorite MDC songs as if they were like a classic jazz piano trio. So slowed way down and trying to figure out what melodies Dave would sing if he sang anything more than one note. Talking so. about heavy duty. <laughs> Let's hear it for Dave. Talk, yeah. Talk about heavy duty piano trios. What's your take on Money Jungle? On Money Jungle? Yes, sir. Yeah, Money Jungle's classic. I mean, I love Money Jungle. I love all those musicians. Well, um, some people say Mingus was showing off. Oh, I think I'm okay with. I'm, I think I'm okay with guys uh, throwing their weight around a little bit. I like that. Okay, okay. Uh, yeah. Max is bad. Max is beautiful. So yeah, totally. Fucking I mean, Max was showing all the time. He was throwing down as much as he could until the end. So you know, I I'm, saw I'm, him. Pettibone took me to see him a bunch of times, and he'd have the band set up straight in a row. Okay. He'd be on the stage port side, and all uh-huh. the count-ins were Ann. <laughs> really? Yeah. Nice. So nice. I guess the tempo was just as fast as you could fucking play. I saw first. That's the first time I saw Ravi. He was in his band. Delfeo was playing uh-huh. for Max. Yeah, because there was and those those bebop guys had this thing, you know, uh, mentoring. You know, you bring the young. They probably Morikano to play too, but like uh, Art Blakey and he, you know, you bring the young cats in. Totally, Elvin, uh, all these guys. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm curious too uh, about the drums. Why did you make the switch from the guitar to the drums? Well, um, like I said, I was obsessed with Eric Dolphy, so I wa- actually wanted to play saxophone in sixth grade. Uh, switch from trombone, and um, they wouldn't let me switch to saxophone because there were too many saxophone players. So I chose the drum section just because I had two buddies that were in there. And I figured it'd be at least we could hang out in the back and goof around, and that'd be better than, you know, playing trumpet or something like that. Well, what about it was bass clarinet he was really into, right? Totally, but you know there was no chance in uh, Southern Maine that there was any school with a with a bass clarinet anywhere around that I could get my hands on. I heard, so I cla- I heard clarinet guys can go to sax, but sax guys going to clarinet's hard because there's holes. Yeah, I you know, I've heard plenty of saxophone players specifically tenor players who play clarinet. There's a guy named Jeff Lederer who plays clarinet really great. Um, but, and yeah, like Don Byron, a pretty well-known clarinet player now plays tenor a lot. Um, there aren't too many people that I know that just focus on the clarinet. There's Ben Goldberg out from the Bay Area, who's a badass. And uh, there's a guy named Jason Stein in Chicago who only plays bass clarinet, doesn't play anything else, and he's incredible. Is Ben? Uh, does Ben play with uh, Scott... Amadozo? He does, yes. Yeah, I, I shared a stage with him with Mike Baguette's main steam stop valve and Steve Hodges. That oh, guy nice, is yeah. great. Yeah, he's a beautiful person, too. 
totally. Yeah, I know Mike Vegetta a little bit as well. He's a great guy. Fuck, small world. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. <laughs> I love it. It reminds me of the old days. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's funny you mentioned Sam Rivers because when I first joined MDC, my mind was blown because all those MDC guys, when I joined, it was the original bass player, Mikey, who was from DRI and The Offenders, Rest in Peace. Sure, And nice. um, Ron Posner, ex-con Ron, had rejoined the band. And, uh, of course, Dave. And all those guys were really, really obsessed with Sam Rivers because they, when they were in the city, they would try to find Sam Rivers' uh, Rivby studio and go hear avant-garde jazz. So there totally is some overlap of the energy of the beginning of the punk community and the, you know, the, the black arts going on in New York City at the time and then the, the avant-garde jazz. Yeah, yeah. In the John Zwed book talks about Sun Ra in New York City in the 60s. Very interesting. Yeah. And, and in the 70s, too, and the right. gigs and, you know, uh, uh, Pettibone brought me, well, b before he even brought me to gigs, you know, uh, played me uh, John Coltrane, and I thought he was a punk rocker. I thought he was older. <laughs> I didn't know he was dead. No, I came from Navy Housing. I didn't know anything about, but, you know, there was something about the feel, you know, if you didn't know. Like somebody, I think there was, was a band from the city called Black Humor, and they had this tune. God, I can't remember what it's called, but there was a line in it that said, the only thing new is you finding out about it. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, my friend Trevor Dunn always says the, or ah, the more, great base the more man. you know. I know Trevor. You know. Great yeah. base man. He's, From, a, he's a great. Uh, uh, NorCal, right? No, uh, yeah. yeah. Eureka. Yeah. Right, right. Uh, so, okay. Did you in, in school, besides the band stuff and that, what about after school where you got the garage band, the basement band, you, you get buddies? Or did you yeah. just... Yeah. Okay. What were I was like... Yeah, I was lucky. My parents let me make as much noise in the basement as I, as I wanted. Um, and I had a bunch of leftover gear from my older brother. And I even started making like, you know, like most people of my generation in the 90s, making like a Tascam four-track studio in the basement. Um, so I did a lot of music myself, just experimenting with sound and music production, but, um, I was, I got pretty good at the drums pretty quick and I always had a lot of energy. So by the time I was in seventh grade, I was playing in lots of hardcore bands with, uh, people from the high school. I'm curious, and, who did you look up to as a drummer, uh, another drummer? Yeah. Um, well, let's see. Early on, I, I, you know, being a huge Zappa fan, uh, I always loved Jimmy Carl Black. Yeah. Um, I loved Tony Williams, of course, and Elvin Jones, and all the people I would read about in drum magazines as a teenager, Stuart Copeland. I was a big uh, Primus fan when I was a little kid, so I was a, I used to play along with Tim Alexander's drumming a lot. Herb. Yeah, Herb, yeah, exactly right. And um, so I kind of liked all kinds of stuff. Um and I loved a lot of kind of straight-edge hardcore bands at the time, but I, I couldn't tell you who those drummers were, but there were certain bands that sounded more... What about intense Robo? Than others. What, which one? Robo. Uh, you know, I never got into Polvo. Um, no, but, no, uh, Robo. Black Flag. Oh, you know, I never got into Black Flag until I joined MDC. Um, it was a big blind spot. Uh, I was always a big Bad Brains fan, and then when Earl. I joined MDC, great I, I had to do a lot of research and I had to re-educate myself to a lot of the stuff I had no idea about what was when your I joined first, that band. Mike, what was your first gig? Oof. Um, hmm. It would have definitely been 
probably playing in a in a hardcore band around Portland, Maine, um, when I was in seventh or eighth grade. I remember some early, you know, straight edge hardcore shows with. There used to be a band from New England called Tree. They were from Boston and like Sam Black Church. Um, some of those bands did all right, and they would come to Portland. And uh, the hardcore band I was in was locally popular, so we would open up for a lot of those bands. Um, I'm always curious and, about the first gig. You know, was that pad shitter? Yeah, you know, um, I was pretty naive, so I wasn't nervous about it. I, I felt pretty good about it. I remember thinking the stage was really high, and I remember being shocked that people actually came. <laughs> and that were a lot of good-looking older girls, because, you know, I was like 13, so to have a bunch of 15-, 16-year-old girls popping around blew my mind, and wow, I was hooked. You, you guys had girls at your hardcore gigs? It was kind of a boy thing over here. Yeah, well, you know, the the band I was in had two lead singers, and both of them were kind of like, you know, guys that graduated high school when they were 24, um, you know, kind of cut up, good looking without a shirt, so they had their own little coterie that would follow them around. You know what, uh, there was a punk band with two singers in, in England called the Mekons. Yeah, totally. Yeah, great band. I think John now lives, the drummer man now lives in Chicago, and he has his own thing going, John Langston. That's right. Uh, yeah. So, 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 what... What you you said you felt something about because obviously, even though your brother you got rock and roll early from your older brother and stuff, but he probably wasn't with the new movement stuff. And, and, and even though he liked Frank Zappa, was did he like the free music? How did yeah, it turn I, you to free music? That's what I'm curious about. Well, he uh, when I was young, one of the first records I remember him sitting me down to play me um, in his house was an art ensemble of Chicago record. And I don't remember the name of the record. Um, it was with an illustrated cover with a white background. Um, I'm sure I have it in my Apple Music folder now. But uh, I remember hearing that. And so I never really knew any distinctions about styles of music until, I would say, elementary school. I mean, I was listening to um, Edgar Varese and Stravinsky and all the things that Zappa liner notes would lead one to. And at the same time, I was listening to MC Hammer, You Can't Touch This, and free music. So it was all the same to me. I think that's uh, a good thing, man. I wish there was I more so. of that. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel fortunate in that. So That's really happening. Uh, hmm. what, what about, since you, you, you're not too far away from New York City, did you, were you aware in the 90s, 80s of John Zorn's thing in the East, Lower East Side? I was. I was a big... Um, sycophant of that i would say as a teenager um and a lot of those guys were my heroes and i always knew i'd move to new york and i wanted to be a, a member of that community uh so much when i was a kid in fact even when i was in college they did some like uh, you know power of positive thought class where you had to write down on a piece of paper where you wanted to be in the future and you know put it in your closet or something so you see it every day <laughs> and i fortunately i don't have that anymore but uh, part of it was like, you know, naively like, oh, I want to move to New York and play with John Zorn and, you know, make money traveling, playing music. Uh, so that was definitely my goal. And um, when I eventually moved to New York when I was 20, that was that was still the goal. And then, you know, you meet those people and, you know, maybe your perspective changes a little bit. So. <laughs> <laughs> There's always the dilemma of the work. And the creator. Totally, totally. <laughs> Sometimes it's better maybe never meet them. Yeah, I totally agree. But, but I am glad I got to meet you, Mike. Very much. Yeah, like, Look, like we're that. at the end of the first hour. 
September 30, 2020 edition of Pedro Show. Special guest Mike Pride. Hat and tight for hour two. September 30, 2020. It's the second hour of the lot from Pedro Show.
gonna work in your crummy jobs. We're not gonna fight in your stinking war. How can you vote in these phony elections? Take a good look, we're just a reflection. Yeah, baby, I hate work. You should do a hate work. Pedro Show, we start off the second hour with Mike Pride doing murmur knifing. Then Sam Bennett out of Tokyo, down the road. Actually, Sam, you know, the Birmingham, Alabama guy. And he, before he went to Tokyo to live there, he uh, served time in the Lower East Side with that scene. Totally. In the, yeah, yeah, playing Elliot Sharp and these kind of cats. And, yeah. Yeah, big respect. He's going to be on the show couple weeks uh, love the awesome. man he's very driven uh and then mike yeah. uh, mike prides i hate work featuring dave dichter <laughs> uh, i guess this is like the title song i hate work totally now dave now notice how that there's some semantics involved here can we discuss a little bit because sure. you know like i've yet to hear a basketball player say you know i'm gonna go to the gym and rehearse some hoops right right but people you know, they rehearse music, right? But they also say they play music, right? And, and you'll hear people, man, if this band folds, I'm going to have to get a job. Like, I'm going to have to work. <laughs> you know, I've been doing this over 40 years, and it's been a lot of work for me. I mean, I do yeah. call it playing, but I kind of had to work at it. So totally. I just want to hear your views, Mike. Well, uh, I think when you, you know... The simplest way uh, for me to answer is that if you put in the work, then you can play. Um, and um, I wrote a piece one time called When We All Rehearse Our Separate Parts, The Real Thing Will Happen. So I think it's just about coming to it prepared, whether that means expectations or chops, or if there's some piece of music we have to get our, our bodies around. Um, and then once we get that together, the real thing can happen. Um, so I think work leads to play. And, uh, but, you know, calling my band I Hate Work is partly a multi-layered joke for the reason I just explained, and also because um, it, I've always been um, what I used to call a workaholic, and um, I love 
working, whether I'm touring, and if I'm not touring, I'm probably working on my house or working on some art or teaching or whatever. Um, I feel much better working. So most people who know me personally know that I'm always hustling and working, so I thought it was just funny to call a band I hate work because I clearly don't hate work. So. <laughs> or maybe certain kinds of work. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've been fortunate that I never allowed myself to be in a position to do the type of work I actually would hate. So, uh, Mike, uh, you mentioned college. Did you go to school for music? I did. Um, I went to the University of Southern Maine for two for a year and a half um, in uh, in Portland, or basically. And I was a film major for the first year. Um, by the time I graduated high school, I had been so consumed with music and had come across certain educators, I guess, who I didn't really didn't find too inspiring. So I'd always been into film. So I thought, you know, fuck it. Let's, I'm just going to make movies instead. And then after one year of film school, I realized that involves way more actual business work and interfacing with people you might not want to otherwise. Um so I switched that and became a composition major for a half a year uh, with, with a minor in jazz. And then I transferred to the new school in New York um, because I wanted to be around some of the jazz heroes that were teaching there. And I just that was the only way I'd get any type of parental support to leave Maine and go to New York as if I went to school. So I went to the new school for one semester and um, quickly dropped out and but by then I was in New York. So I studied various things for a couple of years. Um, but ultimately I dropped out of the new school after one semester because I was able to hunt down Milford Graves, um, who was a, still my, my hero. And uh, he told me that I could study with him. I met him through John Zorn. And uh, he told me that if I studied with him, I'd have, he, I'd have to drop out of the new school. And that's all I needed to hear. So I dropped out of the new school and started hanging at Milford's house for about a year and a half. And then that was the end of my education. Well, well, there are kind of links between film and, and music, I think. And, 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 you know, of course, they coexist all the time together. But I, mm -hmm. I, I also think both expressions have some parallels. And uh, the drummer on the last Beefheart album, uh, Cliff Ramirez? Yeah, yeah. Or was it Martinez? Maybe? Martinez, I'm different. sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry. Excuse yeah. me. Fucking. The good thing about Alzheimer's, you always meet new people. Oh man, I hear that. I hear that. <laughs> but he's really big with soundtracks these days. I saw that. I noticed in the '90s he started doing a lot of work for Steven Soderbergh. And uh, you go to his website. I mean, he is really has had some successes with that. And I can see a drummer man even more than you know the other kinds of instruments. Because, yeah. Yeah, because there's rhythms inside of cinema. Totally. Well, there's totally. rhythms it, inside of everything. <laughs> Yeah, well, and it's so much about orchestration too, because you got these five things that make a bunch of noise, and uh, how are you going to put them in place to do something interesting? Right. Somebody's uh, got to write a book on the fucking trap kit and how that evolved. Yeah, and there's so many great American band leaders who start off as drummers, whether it's James Brown or Frank Zappa, and I'm forgetting. But no, I'm else. curious about moving from the field drum and keeping military, you know, discipline over to this hmm. kit where you have, like, Chinese drums oh, and gongs and uh, this mix match of all kinds of stuff, you know? Yeah. Uh, look, I want to play here uh, Dick for Brains. Okay. More I Hate Work. Okay. 
Um, there are some recordings of like some field bands from the early 20th century that that are really interesting and bizarre. But yeah, I don't know if it went from that to a full trap kit for strictly for musical reasons, to be honest. I'm sure quite a bit of it had to do with vaudeville and putting on a show and just having some crazy shit on stage to look at while, while the guy conducts the big band, you know? You're talking about vocabulary, so you have different... you got a palette going, right? Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. You know, there is some field drum recordings from a high school band on the uh, Tab Falco Panther Burns behind the Magnolia Curtain album from the uh, late 70s. And oh, really? It, yeah, and it's trippy. It's trippy. Gotta check it out. You're right. You're right. Cause that, well, that's kind of orchestrated, right? But the idea uh-huh. that the trap kit is like a one man orchestra, right? Totally. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I, I, my feeling is that probably the first couple people that did it was, uh, I don't know this at all, but I could see it being some type of a sideshow thing. Like, uh, especially that it was so esoteric at the time with different percussion instruments from all over the world, whereas now it's really been homogenized down to the drum kit. It used to have, like you said, sounds and instruments from China and all over the place. You know, woodblocks from from Europe and all kinds of things. Right, right, right. It was just let the freak flag fly. Totally, totally. That's what I wanted. And then it got kind of canonized, right? Kick drum, toms, you know, sizes of the toms, the sizes of, yeah, all this stuff. Yeah, it's funny how how much that all becomes... uh, Almost like a generational thing, the sizes of the drums change every every ten or fifteen years. What's considered standard, I'm sure that has to do with uh, live audio production to some extent. But yeah, concert toms, right? Because you're playing arenas yeah. and they couldn't hear. Yeah, no, totally. No bottoms. Even the way of holding the sticks, right? Totally. The, the match grip didn't exist because they were taking the stuff from the field drum days. That's exactly right. Yeah, they held a traditional grip because they wanted their playing motion or surface to be parallel to the drum head so they didn't have the harnesses like we have now that go over your chest they had a belt and the drum would sling off the belt and off the side of your left hip so therefore you'd hold your left stick traditional style so that you didn't have to have your elbow and your shoulder all janked out you know to get a good playing position right but they go to sitting down yeah and they they kind of preserve that same trip and also another weird evolution the sock symbol turning into the hi-hat, right? It was only activated with the foot. You never hit it with sticks. Right. Yeah, and, they, you know, they used to put a sock in it um, because when they were recording on the Victrola, um, if they closed the hi-hats with their foot without a sock in it, it would cause the needle to, to skip on the lathe cut or whatnot. Yeah, the uh, transient too strong. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I heard that that's how Miles lost his voice was yelling at Philly Joe Jones how to do the sock symbol for a certain kind of tune. Really? That's Holy awesome. shit, you might. Look, we're at the end of the second hour. September 30, 2020, Dish Watt Pedro Show. Special guest, Mike Pride. Hold tight for hour three. September 30, 2020, it's the third hour of the Watt for Pedro Show. Stockings on my feet. All the streets are asking why I'm not a normal American guy. It's America so straight, and it's so bad. What makes America so straight? And it's so bad. What makes America so great? And it's so tense. What makes America so straight? And it's so bad. Yeah, they call this the land of the free. They say it's the home of the brave. Yeah, you know that they.
coming off queen, but I'm just another human And it's America so straight, and it's so bad. What makes America so straight? And it's so bad. What makes America so straight? And it's so gay. What makes America so straight? And it's so bad. So bad, baby. Just so bad.
Show. Start off the third hour with America's So Straight for Mike Pride. I hate work, but this one's featuring Jim Thurwell. How'd you yeah. meet Jim? Um, I was always a big fan of Jim. Um, and he, uh, ever since I was a teenager, and he was had a pretty big following in Maine amongst my dark friends and uh, personality-wise. And... Um, what happened? He showed up to a bunch of shows that I had done in the city, so I'd see him out there. I'm fairly shy in person, so I I didn't have any reason to go up to him. But I, I noticed he was coming out to a lot of shows, so I just sent an email to a friend of his asking if they thought he would be interested in singing on this NBC Piano Trio record. They immediately got back that he was interested and he'd like to. And uh, so it was pretty simple. I just emailed him, sent him the track and um, let him get it back to me when he wanted. But, yeah, I see him around the, the community a fair amount, and it, it seems as though he was a, a, at least enjoying seeing this band of mine called Pulverize the Sound, and I think he's uh, fairly friendly with the bass player in that band. So it's just we know a bunch of similar people, and I, he's, I wanted his... Uh, I, love, I love the spirit of the collab, you know. Then we, yeah. had, uh, we had Crane with Ancient City, My Dolls with Politician. Bronze Jufo out of Baltimore with Helen Butte said this, part C. And finally, Boonda Love, the house that Boonda built. Yeah. Well, they'd like me to Boonda, Mike Pride. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't know what that even meant when I named uh, that project what we thought was Bunda. Um, <laughs> there's a terrible story about that that project name. But yes, I, I like me some Boonda as well. But uh, <laughs> that story is... Uh, for another time. Perhaps. Okay. okay. <laughs> uh, I'm curious, Mike. The, the, the this COVID nineteen sitch. Mm. Are you uh, you say you're teaching and stuff? You can do that online. Yeah. Uh, are you trading files? Are you still doing collab with music? Yeah, I am. Um, I did a record with this band. Uh, I have with the great American free jazz guitar player Joe Morris oh. and Jamie Saft, who's a great poly uh polymath keyboardist um same guy that plays on i in i hate work playing piano or or um mellotron but uh so we did one where we each just recorded one track um improvised and sent it to everybody else and they overdubbed over it because that's an improvised project and that went well um i've sent some this guitar player from the bay area named ross hammond uh, is a really great uh guitar player and blues player. I did a duo record with him where he recorded a bunch of stuff, just him playing on his porch. Or I think he recorded it on his iPhone and sent it to me, and I made you know, drum parts to go with him. So I've been doing as much as I can. Um, I have a couple other projects I'm doing in a similar way. One I'm, with curious, a keyboard Mike, I'm, I'm curious, because yeah. improvise is being with each other and like listening yeah. to each other. And 
So this, you have to kind of stretch the rules, but are you still faithful to the basic thing? Like you don't go back and overdub or, or right? You're reacting in real time or what? Yeah, I mean, um, specifically with the Spanish donkey recording, um, when I got the parts that I had to improvise with, I didn't listen to them first. I just put them on and I, I did two takes. And I don't recall which one I used, but I just sent the person who was going to mix it one take. Um, and that was it. And then they just put it together and mixed it. And to be honest, the way that band plays is so cacophonous that I don't know if anybody, including us, would even know if we were... Um, communicating in real time you know it's more like this monolithic uh thing that moves along so that worked easily enough um but well, it does mean, change you, certain you, things you, uh, you you wave from behind the drums and say hey I, i'll see it i'll see you at the finish line yeah totally pretty much like oh the guitar part ended i should wind this down or whatever um so yeah i, I try to be as true to that as possible um it changes what i would do uh, if I'm the first one generating music, I, I'm working on a record right now with um, the same guy, Jamie Saft, uh, playing piano and me playing drums. And then, do you know the band Kralis, the you know metal band from Brooklyn? Sure. Yeah, okay. So we're going to have the war guitar player, uh, Colin Marston, and Mick Barr, the guitar player from Kralis, overdub over me and Jamie playing like mellow piano and drums. So in that case, we intentionally you know, improvised in a manner that we could see these metal guys shredding over uh, nicely. So we try to have a concept going into it and, you know, lay down a foundation. And then from there, it's out of our hands. And, and hopefully we ha we ask the right people to do it. And it's going to be cool. And it usually is so far. I want to play here a, a tune with a very uh, memorable title. Deck 11029314. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Thank you. 
Thank <laughs> you. 
Buff for Pedro Show, final music for this edition. Mike Pride with deck 11029314A. <laughs> it says Mike Pride here, so this was Manilow. This is where you, uh, like when you were younger, where you just recorded over yourself? Oh, no, that one is just solo marimba. So um, It's just one pass, okay. Yeah, yeah, so some of the, some of the music. I still do quite a bit of solo music. Um, and then, yeah, sometimes I overdub over myself. I'm, I'm working on something like that now. So. A little, uh, what, what, who, who would you call that? Les Paul Mary Ford, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, agree, <laughs> just Phil Ben after that with Welcome to the Charcoal State. That's Brother Phil up in uh, uh, Mammoth Mountain here. You know, they got all, uh, the fires choked them all out with the, the AQI. And Galaxy C out of... Uh, these people during since March, this uh, COVID nineteen out in uh, Joshua Tree, eighteen albums. Holy shit! <laughs> right, right, rains Man. lemons make lemonade, right? That was Heaven yeah. Channel season two, LP three part. I'm really p- proud of them, you know. And it's a lot of improvised free stuff, more on the synth, but still, we're, yeah. we're getting beyond all that classification. So music is music. And then yeah, finally, cool. Mike Pride with Jonathan Moritz with Last Train Out of Monroe. Uh, who's Jonathan Moritz? Um, Jonathan Moritz is a great uh, saxophone player. Oh, I'm um, sorry. Oh, he uh, lives in Brooklyn. And so, yeah, that last track is the pretty traditional drums and tenor saxophone duet. You know, John Coltrane moved from tenor to soprano. Mm-hmm. You know, he got into Sidney Bechet and stuff. If, mm-hmm. Although, if you read Quincy Troop's Miles book, it's like, no, Miles gave it to Oh, really? But, but, you know, maybe it was that fingering thing, because to get to the clarinet world, even though it ain't no fucking licorice stick, it's still kind of up there, you know, Train was hearing. Uh And, you know, that last tour, he brought a a flute and a violin to Japan. Yeah, that's right. What, in Japan, when they gave him, like, a bunch of different instruments? Right. Yeah, totally. There's supposedly a recording um, that maybe somebody will hear this and be able to shed some light on it. But I believe there's a recording of Coltrane playing alto saxophone solo shortly before he died. Well, he started on alto. It was with Cleanhead Vincent that he went over to tenor. Oh, really? Okay, yeah. yeah. I have some of those and he, also started, he also started clarinet in the school. It, it, okay. it was it was Cleanhead Vincent. And get this, man, because I, I, I got the Lewis part. Well, he ain't the only author, but there's this thing called the John Coltrane reference. It's like uh-huh. five inches thick. It's a big yeah. motherfucker. 180 bucks. I bought myself a present a few oh. years ago. And it's got all his gigs and all his recordings. Oh, really? And that, with Cleanhead, he was walking the bar. Really? <laughs> I know. That's, I mean, that's kind of perfect. I, I would hope that somebody who ended their life screaming like that started off walking the bar. You know? <laughs> well, his first recording was with the fucking Navy in Hawaii. In a mixed race band, by the way. Look, yeah. look Mike. What about a young drummer that come up to you and what would you, because you, you've had quite a journey and I mean, you're still on a journey through music and you went through all the stuffs, you know, to, to find where you're at and where you're going and still exploring. What would be your advice? Well, uh, just to play as much as possible. I mean, when I moved to the city, I played on tons of singer songwriter records and I did noise records and rock records and, you know, I did everything I possibly could. Um, and for me, that was some of the most fun I've ever had in my life. So, um, I would say try to enjoy your life and get the most out of it while you can, because 
most people will get a little bit older and a little bit jaded and uh, it'll be a little less fun for them so just enjoy the fuck out of it while you do and then hopefully you've laid enough roots to uh you know exist on this moving forward yeah that's great 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 advice and where can people find you on the internet mike uh, just mikepride.com or mikepride.bandcamp.com has a bunch of albums up. I attempted well, you, to put out. You probably out... got links from your website. So M-I-K-E-P-R-I-D-E.com, people. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Totally. And so what's next for you? Well, last year I turned 40 and I was trying to do a new record every month. Um, <laughs> You're like and... Bob Pollard. <laughs> yeah, exactly. When you mentioned that, I thought 18. That's even worse. Um, oh, yeah. I Galactus. <laughs> totally. I got five records in, and then the, the pandemic has shut this process down. But So I did three solo records, and then three duo records, and then I wanted to do three trio records, and then four, I mean, sorry, three ensemble records at the end. So I still have many records for that. So there'll be, I'll be finishing the 12 for 40 album series uh, as I can. It's a lot slower since I can't have people over to the studio right now. Um, and the I Hate Work record will hopefully be out sometime soon. Um, and, you know, I'm just always here making music and looking for people to do interesting music with or help them out however I can. And, you know, it doesn't stop. I, this is all I've done for um, more than half my life at this point, and it's, I don't see myself ever stopping. So there's that's, always stuff going on. That's bitch, use, Mike. I'll, I'll travel again when I can. You know, well, in can. the meantime, though, you put a dent in that stuff, you get a bunch of stuff recorded, come back on the show and we can play it and talk about it, okay? That'd be great. I'd love that. Okay, thank you so much. People, it's been the September 30, 2020 edition Lock Pedro Show. Keep your powder dry.